Let's do this thing we do where we talk about thrones. I am Richard. I, Jenny, I forget what name you give me. I'm Richard from somewhere. I'm Jenny fucking Josephson because I no longer work anywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that needs a name. Uh, it's se- se- I don't know. I'm Jenny. That is fine. That is fine. And there, there is a, a Jenny F. Josephson. She is Jenny AF today. <laughs> yeah, she's Jenny GNFs. <laughs> and that laughter you hear in the background, of course, is Anthony. Hey. Sir Anthony. Good morning. Good morning. And it is morning. This is kind of unusual for us. But while we are kind of, you know, looking at a new day, we are also looking at a new season. Yeah. We are going to talk about season three, the opening episode 301 of course, I can't pronounce the name of it. Velardaris? Velardaris. Harris. Okay. And everybody's like, look at that. It only took one minute and 12 seconds for Richard to start massacring the names. <laughs> and then also episode 302, Dark Wings, Dark Words. This is one of the first couple of episodes where I felt as if these were not a natural pair. Yes. Right. Because the first episode kind of wraps up, tidies up season two. And then the, the thir- second episode actually starts getting into new stories and building on something all new. Yeah. Yeah. They did not feel related at all. In fact, there were people missing that were in episode one that were not in episode two. And that's kind of unusual. Usually you carry those storylines through two episodes and that just did not happen. So uh, let's see. We have a cold open with screams and Sam running through a storm. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a. I, I love Sam, and this is one of those character building moments for him. Just the whole experience of being uh, north of the wall and seeing the White Walkers, and it just it builds on so much, and it's going to come to a, a nice little, uh, nice little point, and then continue on, and it's great. And then. We end up going through titles, and I have to say, this is the first time I have actually noticed significant changes in the titles. Yeah, welcome to the club, man. <laughs> <laughs> the The title scenes get more exciting watching them now because I know where the story's going to go, so I'm looking for the new spots, and you kind of have an idea of what to look for, so they, they come out a little bit better. But I, I still love the title sequence. I still watch it all the way through every time. I will say I'm liking them better. I remember I was really down on them when uh, when it all started for mm-hmm. me, and I am liking them better now. So that's progress, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, there was one part of this first scene here. Uh, Sam, Sam didn't send the Ravens, and I don't remember him being told to send the Ravens, so maybe I missed uh, a detail out of an earlier episode twice now. And um, I don't know, that, that kind of seemed a little out of place, but then even even with my skewed memory, it still seemed really, really, like, important that oh damn sam didn't send the ravens like because because you know what it means even if i didn't remember him not sending them i think it's one of those things where it's just like it happened off screen mm. like you're you're coming in in media race in the latin <laughs> and yeah i just think like uh, sam screwed up again everything's still the same in season three <laughs> back to you john snow <laughs> Yeah, and then <laughs> Richard, what do you think about this scene with John uh, meeting the King of the North? Uh, yeah, I it didn't. I, should I have been impressed? I honestly, right now, as you're saying that, I'm having a hard time recalling the scene. So obviously, it didn't leave a great impression with me. 
If you're not impressed by Ciaran Hines, whose name I'm sure I just muddled, uh, you're probably a little dead inside. Uh, I'm just saying, it's just my professional opinion. <laughs> As an actor. Huh. Um, Interesting. This is actually one of my favorite characters in as portrayed in Game of Thrones because unlike every other dum-dum in this series minus like five other people, he is a hard realist, mm. right? And you don't like have a choice to not be a hard realist when you're living north of the wall, right? Right. But he's right. just like, like, it's one of those things where like you're, where you're, the cotton strip from your eyes and you just see the truth and everyone who doesn't see the truth, you don't have any time for. And I, I feel like as I age, I become Mance Raider more and more. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, so I guess I, I just like really identify with him and how he's supposed to be this big bad, but really he's just like one of the few actual sensible people who's not othering other humans. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And this is also the introduction of another one of my favorite characters, Tormund. He is, yep. the, just as a character, he stays true to character the entire time. He doesn't go through any real growth. He's just always this, like this anchor of gruffness and of, I'm just going to say it how it is. And if you don't like it, then what? And and, 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 <laughs> and that character just, it, it just flows through the whole series as, as long as he's in it, that it just, man, it, it's just, he's, he's just anchor. Every time you see him on screen, you know, something's going to come out of his mouth that's either going to make you think or laugh or both. Yeah, and it's like there are certain characters when they come on Game of Thrones that you're always happy when you see. You're just mm. like, yes, this scene is going to be good. <laughs> and this Tormund Giantsbane is absolutely at the him and Bronn. It's like the top of the list. Right. Yeah. And and they, they really anchor each other very well on opposite sides of the story. So what's interesting is that you're referring to both of those. And I can't recall the scenes where I first see those characters. I know who you're talking about. And that's one of those things where I almost feel like coming into this new, I have a hard time keeping track of who is new and who isn't. Mm. You have the context of knowing, oh, well, this person's longer storyline started here. And I'm looking at that as in, okay, new face, don't recognize them. Do I care or not? Are they ever going to show up again? Like, do I pay all that much attention to it? Now, right. The one question that I did have is the King of the North. Who is that actor? I know I know him. That's like, what uh, has he been Ciaran in? Hines. Okay. Huh. Oh, wait, you mean the King in the North? The King in the North is Rob Stark. The King Beyond the Wall is Ciaran Hines. Sorry, sorry, I know sorry. that seems confusing. Yeah, yeah that's, so the that's guy who's talking to Jon Snow is a famous Irish actor. Um, okay. And he's been in everything. You've seen him in everything. I think yeah. he played, he played, um, you wouldn't know it. But he played uh, the guy in Justice League, the big bad, the digital big bad in Justice League. That is not his best role. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Okay. But yeah, I thought that was really, you know, that just while you two were having those conversations about, oh, and this is where this person, like, wow, I totally missed that because it's just, it's hard for me to catch stuff like that. Mm. He was in That's Harry really Potter uh, and the, the something, something Harry he Potter. played. Uh, who did he play? I don't know, but Hold that's on. where I probably recognize him from. <laughs> Deathly Hallows. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Totally makes sense. All right. So then we do eventually get to see some characters we know and love or hate and recognize. We have a little bit more wordplay with Cersei and Tyrion. 
which is always amazing. Always fun. Love it. Always love it. And, you know, if I jump over stuff that you want to talk about or dive into more, please do stop me. But the first thing that really got my attention was, huh, Davos survived. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And and I love the way this is portrayed as well, because the the, the way they shoot it, you don't really know what's going on to begin with. And you see the hand go up to block the sun and it's missing fingers. And you're like, oh, that's got to be Davos. And then... He's he's given a choice, you know, which king did you fight for? And he has to kind of, it's a test of his loyalty. Does he go the safe route or does he, you know, say his true loyalty? And it pays him off by being loyal to, to uh, Stannis. Not something yeah. you see very often in this series. <laughs> and also not something you see very often, which is not just loyalty, but loyalty being rewarded instead of punished. Right. Right. Because let's be serious about this. I know somebody who is extremely loyal and he got his head chopped off. So, you know, yeah, I mean, Oops. I'm just saying. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then um, we, uh, you know, I'll, I want to jump ahead a little bit just while we're talking about Davos. So then then eventually we end up in conversation with Stannis and Davos and Stannis's that that's the the witch woman right uh yeah who's now burning people alive because that seems like a really good thing to do right. after yeah. you lose a lot of people <laughs> right yeah that makes a lot of sense and now so you say okay he's rewarded for his loyalty well he's rewarded for a short period of time because then he basically ends up well not basically he gets imprisoned right and yeah. i'm i'm totally baffled by that like is is stannis such a a brainless, spineless idiot that he's just going to do whatever this witch wants? Yes. <laughs> she's not a witch. She's my wife. <laughs> um, the, the important thing here, the, him going to, going to uh, being imprisoned is actually setting up something in, in a huge way several seasons later. Um, that's, that's actually a very sad moment, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, I had forgotten that the, he'd gotten thrown into the dungeons uh, that quickly. In my mind, he had been on Dragonstone for a while before he got thrown in, but he got he got thrown in pretty much immediately after arriving. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I thought that was really weird. There was this other random scene, and maybe they are tied together. I don't know if they are or not, but we have a scene where Rob and Catalin are walking through this town full of lots of dead people. And they encounter someone, and I couldn't place who it was that they encountered. Oh, you mean the guy that's almost dead? That yeah, should have should have been dead with everybody else. I I don't I, I don't know who that was either. Actually, um, I didn't mark it as important in my mind. But uh, Rob arriving at Harrenhal is the first of several, and I think there's more in the book than there are in the show. But the first of several near misses for Arya because she had just left Harrenhal right before that, mm-hmm. um, and then Rob arrives. And this is going to be like the first of, I think, three or four near misses where Arya almost gets home. She almost finds her family uh, and, and doesn't. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And again, I think there's a lot more in the book. I think there's only two in, in the show. There's at least three or four in the book, though. Um, huh. Yeah. And Heron Hall is just like crap ass place. Like. <laughs> Nothing good happens in Heron Hall. Like if you're in Heron Hall, just like watch out. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one of the really interesting things about Heron Hall, which Richard, I would not have expected you to pick up on, obviously, is that um, Rob and his 
dumb lady he married, not that she's dumb, is dumb that she married. He married her. Uh, right. They find this survivor who's like an ex maester, right? And they and this guy saves. Uh, they save his life or give him medical attention or something. His name is Kyburn. There you and go. I, I forgot. This is one of those like good rewatch things. Which when I saw him, I was like, "What the what?" Um, because he <laughs> he goes on to be uh, useful to other people. Oh, uh, yeah. But what a subtle way to bring him in for no reason at all. He has been imprisoned at Heron Hall. Like why? I don't know. He's just there. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I, I didn't realize that was right. Kyburn. That 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 does change things right? a little bit. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They find him. That's, and that's yeah. <laughs> That's very odd how that turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then yeah, you I know this... we're spoiling a little. We're gently uh, spoiling, but I don't That's care. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's okay. You're not giving me big spoilers, so I yeah. can handle You'll it. You'll forget. Trust me. We end up in this epic conversation between Tyrion and Tywin. Yes, yes, yes. Richard, I need I need your take on that because that was watching it for the like the second or third time that I watched it. It was really exciting to watch it. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective, this kind of fully reinforces, for me anyway, Tywin's true character and how he stands or doesn't stand for Tyrion in particular, but I will say more largely his children. When Tyrion's like, hey, look, I did all this stuff for you. Look what I did here. And he's like, yeah, that's all right. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Um you know, and you know, that place you want. Yeah, I'm not rewarding you. So in, in the same conversation, he tells him, well, you did all that because you're a Lannister. And that's just what's expected of a Lannister. And then turns around and says, you're not a Lannister. So you're not going to inherit Casterly Rock, which is the Lannister uh, home city. In the same conversation, it just shows because um, before, you know, you know, Tywin has a disregard for, for Tyrion. But now there's, you, it, you know, you're the one that killed your mother on the way out and this and that like. Tywin despises Tyrion. Yeah. And this, yeah. this is the first time you really see just how much he hates him. I Yeah. So I definitely got that. But I also wonder how much of that is just his relationship with Tyrion. Or is there more just I get the feeling just by watching that scene that this is more of us seeing his true character. And can we trust or believe in him in dealing with his family at all? This just, I don't know, that that was kind of a, you know, before we're like, oh, he's awesome, he's a badass, and now I'm like, okay, maybe he is, but maybe, now I don't trust him anymore. Right. Well, this conversation has, this is another another uh, uh, volley up, because it has amazing implications later on, and it, just put a pin in this moment right here, because holy cow, the way it pays off is, is how it develops the story is, is insane. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hmm. All right. Well, and then we pivot from there back to our favorite dragon lady. Daenerys has uh, some, I don't know, dragon toddlers now. Yeah, <clears throat> they're playing on the water. I always love that <laughs> when the dragons like exhibit personality and mm. like they're kittens. Yeah. Um, kittens. That's a great analogy, actually. Yeah. They're just like, ooh, water spat. So this brings I up like that. my second flying quote. murder kittens, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, th this brings up my second of two uh, quotes. We'll go back to the other one in a second. But um, she, uh, uh, Daenerys is told, "You'll have a true Kalisar when you prove yourself strong," and it, it's kind of foreshadowing. But it's one of those moments for for Daenerys where it's like, "Okay, well, th these things aren't given to you. 
your name and your birthright aren't going to get you there. You're going to have to prove yourself, not just not just be you, but actually become you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the scenes I really like and that I forgot all about is the uh, the ascendancy of Marjorie Tyrell. And this is the woman who now Joffrey is betrothed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And she, I, I just want to say a little word about the actress. So uh, whose name I just immediately forgot, but that's okay. Um, the actress had just, when she started this role, had just come off a role playing Anne Boleyn in right. the Tudors. Mm-hmm. Um, which, oh, wow. Which was, yeah, which was a really good series. And so she had this like, epic arc it was so so good uh so that when she came on game of thrones if you had watched the tutors you were just like oh yeah buckle (laughs) up Uh, Um, natalie dormer thank you uh i don't remember names this early in the morning i'm just like yeah that lady uh but but watching her like be a political animal and wondering how someone so young got that way. And that will be um, pretty soon answered, but Mm. uh, it's, it's just like, she's like, it's like basic power play math, hand out things in the King's name for the orphans, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, drive a wedge between him and mummy. Like it's just, she's just, (laughs) it's just great. And it's so great to watch actually Cersei finally in a position of being like, Oh, I gotta up my game. Right. There, there's this between Cersei and uh, and Marjorie. There's Marjorie's got this play going on. This this power play, like you said, this political power play. But it sparks up something in Cersei with this jealousy that she hasn't had for anyone, mm-hmm. maybe ever. Maybe, maybe since uh, since since um, uh, her her now deceased ex husband or whatever uh, was whispering other women's names in her ear while they were doing it. Um, I think that was just humiliation. I don't even think she yeah. wanted that guy. But, but you know this what I is, mean? This is genuine yeah. jealousy. Like she's she's got it for for Marjorie. Oh well, yeah. So the question I have is: Is the jealousy that Marjorie is appealing to her people, or is it that Joffrey is going to listen to her, not to Cersei? I think well, that's the question. Yeah, it's also. Be, I think a large part of it is she's playing queen better than than Cersei did. Right, because you know, Cersei so more does the not former. care. Yeah, yeah, she's yep. she's really playing playing the part and becoming the you know the idealistic force behind the crown. The crown. Mm-hmm. Well, and that makes <laughs> it. It's really interesting that you say that because as you're saying that, I think of Cersei and the role that she's been playing at the king's side, and if in her mind, in any way, she's thinking of herself as the queen that just makes that relationship even ickier than it already is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one, one thing that we, we did skip over was a brief talk uh, between Sansa and Shay about Littlefinger. And mm-hmm. um, this is basically the first time this, that anyone has told um, Sansa don't trust Littlefinger. And because before now, she's kind of been in this, this toss up, well, should I trust him? Do I not trust him? He's kind of icky, but then he's also my mom's friend. And, and, you know, she's basically told don't trust him. And while they're playing their little game sitting on the docks, (laughs) Sansa comes in, they're, they're imagining where where the ships are going. And, uh, and Shay doesn't understand why, why she's playing the game. You know, why didn't, why didn't just, just, I already know the truth. Why do I need to make something up? And Sansa says, the truth is, 
<laughs> the truth is always either terrible or boring. And well, that that saying that coming from Sansa, how that you know how she goes through her journey, it's like man, she's telling her own her own story there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was notable to me too. That was kind of to me a moment of um self awareness that I don't think I've ever noticed in her before. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, I I uh, the Sansa arc is painful and long. Sansa's trip <laughs> to self awareness. Yeah. But um you know, it, it took a long time, a long time and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Right. And yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very uh, and worse. It's a very crazy crescendo. She's gonna hit. <laughs> um, and then, then we uh, we finish up the episode with uh, the reappearance of someone who I didn't understand the first time I saw the series because yeah. I didn't really catch it. But now that I knew what to look for, and Richard, I'm sure you didn't really catch it either. The scene with um, with Daenerys at the very end, where the uh, the basically the the magi try to attack her again, the wizards try to attack her again, and she's there basically. She goes to try and acquire the services of a slave army. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that whole thing was really weird. So yeah, you, that's did, a, that's some hardcore stuff going on there in the East. Um, did, did you recognize the, the person in the cloak that came out and, and uh, saved her? I did not. I noted that she found an ally. I didn't actually recall that that was somebody I should recall. Okay. So yeah, so that was uh, Barristan Selmy, mm-hmm. who was the the member of the King's Guard who got all pissed off, like back in I forget even what season, maybe it was season one, right? Yeah. It, when they tried to get him to retire, They're like we're gonna give oh, you a castle. Right. And he threw he threw all his his, uh, his armor down on the floor and stormed yep. out of there. Right. Yep. And they said, oh, you know, you can live a noble life now. We'll give you this land and everything. And and basically shunned him. Right. And he said, go fuck yourself uh, <laughs> right. and disappeared from the series. Right. Yes, I totally missed that. And a, a season later, a full season later, he pops back up uh, saving Daenerys life. Which is yeah. just like, it's sort of like, see, and, and this this actor is just like, he he's just so good and authoritative and everything. And he's actually on, uh, weirdly enough on the new series Krypton right now playing, uh, bung L or whatever L is the great, 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 great grandfather of Superman. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. L. yeah, you're right. Yeah. And so immediately like you get this sort of reassurance and like good, uh, steady sense from this actor every time he shows up. Um, and I really want to remember his name. I don't remember names. Ian McElhinney. Um, Mc- <laughs> Ian McElhinney. Sure, hmm. that sounds about right. Yeah, he's really, really good. And 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 this is uh, this is one of the few times when you have a, a hard stop on an episode. Like this is a great place to stop. It's like oh, it's, this- a, it's a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's a, it's a genuine cliffhanger. Yep. It's not just something that kind of obscure that you're like, huh? This is like no kidding. Boom! This guy just walked in, and oh, well, now we need another story. Oh, but there's the credits. Right. Oh, and by the way, we're not going to talk about it in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, but can I make two corrections to myself before we go on, before we move on? Of course. Sure. Because I don't want to get murdered. Uh, so, Kieran Hines is how you pronounce the actor's name who plays uh, the king beyond the wall, uh, Mance okay. Raider. And he was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So I feel like that's important. Oh, oh yeah. That's a big difference. That's a, that's yep. a big one. 
That's important. So there, I've corrected myself. No one send people after me. This is producer Jenny doing all the all the research behind the scenes while everybody else is talking. I like to call it accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> Who would imagine that she's a producer in real life? Mm. <laughs> Onward to dark wings, dark words. Right. And speaking of wings, we start with a dream again. Bram's dream. Mm-hmm. And he sees members of his family and he's told, you are the raven. And I don't get it. I'm sorry. I don't get it. <laughs> That's fine. I never got it when I was watching it. I was just like, are we still with the raven? It, honestly, even on rewatch, it doesn't necessarily make sense because that's that, that, that whole, the overall storyline of that hasn't fleshed out enough to understand everything because there's so many different facets of just the dreams and everything else and who has them and who doesn't have them and what they mean. It's all kind of this, this mystic thing that's just hovering over the entire story that has not fleshed out enough for me to fully comprehend it yet. Bring out Ooh. your wall okay, riders. <laughs> um, sorry. I always think of Lord of the Rings whenever I hear the word walk. <laughs> Getting on with some of the storyline, you know, we have we have what seems like kind of a random sequence of scenes. There were a couple things I didn't even write down because it just didn't seem all that terribly interesting. Is this actually the first time that Catelyn learns that Winterfell is fallen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough day for Catelyn Stark. Her father dies and leaves that um, right castle exposed, and her she is given the news that the two little babies that she left up in her fort uh, may or may not be dead. And that's mm-hmm. that's a bad day. I'm going to give it to her. It's a bad day. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, by the way, everything she ever owned has been torched. So, uh, you know, welcome to the cloak on your back because that's all you got left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, so I was just surprised by that because it seemed, and again, we've talked about how time is so fluid in the show, but there were times that things happened and it seemed like word managed to get to them crazy fast. And yet this seems like it happened an age ago and she's just finding out. Right. And, and part of that is, is because uh, she's kind of cut herself off from the flow of information by, by letting uh, Kingslayer go. So she's not in the loop. So she's not getting the, the normal briefs and she's not in on, in on the meetings and stuff like that anymore. So she's kind of just another person. And your average person isn't going to, you know, really be aware of what's going on uh, in Winterfell. So she, you know, this that's just a, a symptom of her not being in that inner circle anymore. That's a really good point that I totally forgot about. But that makes complete sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, meanwhile, there's this is one of those moments there were a couple of these scenes and it warmed my heart that Theon is getting tortured. <laughs> um, enjoy that warmth because it, it, you're going to get hot like fire. It, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of those things like, okay, well, Theon's getting his. All right, cool. And then he gets his yeah. and gets his and gets yeah. his taken away Good. and things just keep, keep, Happening to Theon. Yeah, you're, you're all right. You're, you're maybe not necessarily going to feel sorry for him, but he's he, you're going to feel something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, and uh, th- this is also the introduction of um, Mira and oh Jojen. Jojen, yeah, Mira and Jojen Reed. 
Um, the long suffering Mira and Jojen Reed. Yeah. God bless them. Their only job is to pull a sled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it's more than that, but in the bottom line, that's what it comes down to. It's like that kid can't walk and their job is to pull a sled and do other things. And it's like it, they are the least well-served characters, I think. They are certainly in competition for the title of somewhat really interesting and least well-served by this TV show characters. Right. Interesting. Right. I was trying to figure out what the significance of that was. Like, Jojen comes in as if, like, he's somebody, or at least he acts like he is. Yeah. And I just didn't quite understand why that was, or who, or how that fit in. And I was also, like, racking my brain. I'll give you a a non-spoilery hint. He is the son of one of, like, the, um, you know, there's, like, people who are in charge of whole regions of Westeros. Uh, so his father mm-hmm. is in charge of, like, the swamps, basically. There, they live in the swamps. Yeah, okay. yeah. North north of the Twins, you know, the two towers that, that are on opposite sides of the river where they had to make the deal to cross the river. Just north of that, for several hundred miles, this huge area is a swamp. And that swamp is ruled by Jojen and Mira's father. How? Yeah, who is uh, a, a, a subject of... Uh, well, was the subject of the Starks and kind of is now, but you know that's all tossed up in the air right now. Yeah, um, loyal but, to the Starks. Yeah, they're lo- their, their house is loyal to the Starks. In fact, their father fought with um, with uh, Ned Stark in the war, and that becomes per- uh, very important later. Yeah. So they're they're yeah, close family. They're very close family. Very loyal to the Starks, and that loyalty is is being tested now. Okay. Okay. I was also having a hard time trying to place the kid and. Yeah. Then, oh, he's from, uh, I'll tell you why, the, the actor? Yeah. He's from Love Actually. He's the little kid who falls in love with the girl in Love Actually. Yeah, that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> um. <laughs> and runs through the airport with the greatest scored music of all time. That's awesome. Definitely not what I was thinking. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> Okay, okay, so let's, let's He's let's also go. in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's in, he's in at least <laughs> a few, few episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, in King's Landing, there's this amazing conversation uh, between Sansa and um, uh, Marjorie, Marjorie, yeah. and, and Marjorie's grandmother. My only goal in life is actually to become Elena Tyrell. Oh my God, Elena Tyrell. <laughs> She's. You, every every family has that aunt that just says things, and you don't know where the conversation started. But why did it go there? That's, yeah, that's me. That's gonna yeah, be me. That's Olena Tyrell. Um, she's I've got three a, more years awesome? of giving a shit, and then I'm gonna be Olena Tyrell. <laughs> she is. She is just awesome. Uh, she's another person that every time she's on on screen, you smile, whether or not the, the whether or not you know what's going on. It's just you can't not. And and Diana Rigg. Oh, sorry, Dame Diana Rigg. Mm-hmm. plays her majestically and it, it, she becomes one of my favorite characters of the show just incredible and this conversation is where that starts because the 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 gist of it is they marjorie and elena invite sansa to to lunch or whatever and they want to know about uh joffrey and mm-hmm. this is one of those times where if you if you didn't think um uh sansa was being played very well if you didn't think that the actress was playing sansa very well if this scene doesn't change your mind on how well she can act at the age of 19 or 20, whatever mm-hmm. she was when, when this 
took place, you are out of your mind because this is an amazing scene. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I, I absolutely loved this. The notes that I took were, I, I referred to her as refreshing. Mm. I loved every moment of the scene. And it seemed like this was also a moment where we get more, we, you know, we know what's in Sansa's head, but she's always pouty and she's always kind of walking around as the victim. Right. And she kind of, she takes a moment to seize it. She almost doesn't. And then she, she takes a moment to show some honesty here. And it was, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, something about the, the the way this scene is shot, you have basically three different, three different ways of doing it. Of course they have each, each individual character being portrayed, you know, taking up the whole screen or whatever. There's one where this, you can see Marjorie and Elena together. But the one that I found just amazing was when they show Sansa by herself from you know, where you can see the table and it's kind of zoomed out a little bit. She literally looks like she's by herself. Like the entire weight of the, of the world is on her shoulders when she's, when she's sitting there being asked about Joffrey, this person has tormented her and holds everything over her head. But you got this, all this serenity around her, this garden around her that is immaculate. And she is just so completely torn. And, and it's just an amazing scene. It's, it's beautifully shot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was really cool. Really, really cool. And then, All right. And then what'd you think of Elena and Marjorie's uh, response when she said, when, when Sansa's like, he's a monster. I honestly don't remember their response because they didn't really give one. They were just like, okay, well, yep, yeah, that's, that's what we thought. All okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, they're digging because I think they suspected. I mean, it, it can't be too hard to understand what's going on in Joffrey's head, right? Like, there's not a whole lot there. He's a spoiled bitch brat, right? Right. It's just, sorry. And, and, how and, is he? and this conversation actually pays off a little later when Marjorie and Joffrey are alone together with the crossbow. Yeah, so she's got the intel she needs. She's like, oh, he's a sadist. I can work with this. Yeah, exactly. She she just turns her right, right into him, and it's she plays it perfectly. Yeah, and she also like God. It's just masterwork by um, Natalie Dormer. It is really impressive because like the one thing that Cersei was able to get on Marjorie, she's able to quickly turn to her advantage, mm-hmm. which is basically you know like whatever uh, that it wasn't really a real marriage with Renly. And can you? I I don't I don't think I can recall a scene so based in violence that was so sexy than with Marjorie and Joffrey with the cross. I guess so. If you like, like, ugh, uh-uh. yeah, I mean, it is Joffrey, but uh-uh. at the same time, the way D- Natalie plays it is just Maybe amazing. Maybe for you. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was really interesting because I did not take that as sexy. I took that as her playing her role the way she needs to being totally enthralled by anything that he's interested in. And it almost looked to me like she wanted to learn more about how this thing works, just in case she might want to use it one day. How does this thing work? (laughs) Right? I mean... You mean I just put my hands right here? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, all right. Seemed a lot like foreshadowing to me, just saying. Mm. I don't know if it is or not. All right. But... It certainly did. Yeah, so I really liked that. I thought she played that well. Also, you mentioned, you know, talking about Renly 
There was more discussion in this episode, I think, than in all of the show past about Renly being gay. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the Kingslayer brings it up. Uh, Joffrey brings it up with, with uh, Marjorie. It, yeah. Really weird. I, I mean, it just very. And, and, and are we really to believe that Brienne had a thing for him? My God, do you know how many of my friends had a thing for men who were not interested in them and they couldn't figure out why and then they figured out why? Happens all the time. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I do have a little yeah. bit of insight into that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I think that's perfectly, perfectly consistent with what I have experienced and my friends have experienced in the real world. Okay. Totally. I'm just like, yep. Yep. I would marry you, but you do not want to marry me. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah. <laughs> then we get back to the Riverlands with uh, Heron Hall and this little conversation between Catalan and Talisa, uh, the bride that should not be. And um, yeah, she, without saying as much, she basically tells her how she feels about her. And it, it's, it's just another great scene. It was good. And it, it was also, I wrote it down as Catalan confessing to some degree. I don't know if that was the right word or not, but that's what it felt like to me. Yeah, this adds a well, lot. Yeah, of, this war is all her fault. <laughs> it, it is. Um, it is. The the, uh, the little little expose that she gives on her relationship with with uh, John is really telling of Catalan's character. It shows basically the, the that one major flaw because you know she loves all her children and she's this strong woman that she makes her decisions and and she's willing to to face the 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 the, the punishment and everything else. But then on this one thing, she just she could not reconcile herself with. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I thought that was pretty cool. So. Um, yeah, that was a good scene. That was a good scene. Now, we end up back briefly above the wall again, and we see Sam tattered and torn and about ready to just give it up. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I missed something because my first reaction was, how did we get how did we get to that point so fast? Well, they're on a force march back to the wall. Uh, so there's there's no stopping. There's no breaks. If you got to pee. You better walk fast and keep up because they're they're heading to the wall uh, as fast as they possibly can, and he just can't keep up. Sam is just not physically fit at this point. He's mentally okay. torn because of the experiences he's had, and it's just kind of all way at the same time. And then you get the remarks from uh, from oh, what's his name, Rat or Rake or whatever the hell his damn name is, um, and that just kind of sets him over the edge. He's you know like I screw it, I'm just going to give up. Hmm. Okay, uh, Rast. Rast is the is the the chubby bully. Um. Okay. okay. So, uh, I, very quickly, Arya Stark, right, mm. and her gang mm. of orphans, uh, meet up with and God, try to make me care about the Brotherhood without banners, please. Try <laughs> to make me care. Well, in the books, it was <laughs> it was a lot easier to care because there's there there's more of a story and it kind of gave them a little bit of backstory and then it led into something later on that hasn't been fulfilled in the books in the TV show. It cuts out all the interesting parts. (laughs) Yeah. Well, right. I I know what you're talking about and you're right. Like without that central reanimating force, uh, it's just stupid. Right. Right. This is basically a way of slamming uh, the hound and Arya back together. Back together. Right. Yeah. Because that story arc is actually entertaining, fun and and developing. But the men without banners is the brotherhood without the, banners? I call them the men without plot purpose. Yeah, yeah, the the 
<laughs> it's. I yeah. mean, they have one purpose. Yeah, like it, seven seasons from now, their their underlying their underlying thing is so ripped out of the TV show that doesn't even they don't even matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So. All right, is Sorry, there anything else? nobody matters. <laughs> okay, so we, we just, you just put them put, in the uh, category of nihilism. They don't matter. Yeah, you've just put uh, Sandor Clegane with Arya Stark, which is destined to become one of the great. There's a lot of great pairings in Game of Thrones, right? And they're not romantic pairings; they're like antagonistic pairings, and they genuinely make or like banter pairings and so anytime you see those again two characters together bantering that's like an example of like you'll see more but Tyrion and Varys or as you're about to see Jamie and Brienne Jamie and and Brienne right yeah and it's so like and and later Brienne and someone else so like it's just like these spark Game of Thrones is like it goes along and along and along and along. And you just get these spark character moments like spark, spark, spark. And Jamie and Brienne is a really, really solid one. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is insanely important to Arya's character development. The, just the, the, the character she's going to become, uh, she learns a lot of that from the Hound. Yeah. He's sort of like her bad dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, she, she she she's basically going through this series of tutorials, and the Hound is her next level tutorial. So yeah, um, and yeah, she's of course I I love Arya's character, I love her development, I love her whole storyline. Um, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Now, somewhere around before we get out of this episode, we flash back to Theon getting tortured more again. Just love it. Um, <laughs> who's torturing him? Who which, are these people? Which part of the shall we remove today? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's actually something you'll you'll find very shortly, and yeah, it's TBD. It, yeah, it's it's a uh, it, it causes you to rethink um, some alliances when it happens. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's someone that I shouldn't be expected to know. Yet. No, right, right, exactly. They've only and herein kind of I'll just this totally aligns. With how we started this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones, where there are new people that I didn't even recognize as new people, because there's just so many new faces coming in. I'm like, does this matter? Does is this is this person new or not? Mm-hmm. Did I just not notice them before? Now, Jenny, is this the last season as a, as a whole season where we get just a flood of characters rushing in at us, and then I believe starting in season four, things start getting pared down and. We really start focusing on just the characters that really matter. For the most part, yes. Okay. Um, season three is like a big character influx. Uh, I'm trying to think seasons ahead. And every time a new character is introduced, it's there's only one more family of people that come flooding in in a future season. You're like, who, do, who are you now? Like, mm. where'd you come from? And why aren't you wearing a lot of clothing? But like mostly... <laughs> You know who I'm talking about, but like yeah. mostly you've seen now all the major players in the game by the end of this season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that makes speaking sense. Speaking of the end, at the end of this episode, you got uh, Brienne and the Kingslayer, Jamie, mm-hmm. trying to cross a river and making some decisions. And there's a lot of decisions that are made in a very short period of time and they all have consequences. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Like Did, Brienne of Tarth yeah, is this just... this is a weird scene. 
Yeah. So you remember how I was calling myself when I was calling myself something? I was calling myself Sarah Brienne. That's why. Because she mm-hmm. is the coolest. Yeah. <laughs> she, she just is. She she knows the book answer, but she doesn't necessarily know how to apply it in all situations. Right. And this is when, you know, she she decides not to not to ford the river to actually go across the bridge, put herself in that 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 uh unsafe zone, and then Jamie takes advantage of her, gets the sword, they fight in the, in a really good fight. Um makes me wonder how well Jamie would have done against her if his hands weren't shackled. Yes. Um but uh that turns out tragically for them. Yeah. Yeah, so but who is it that they end up encountering? TBD. Yeah, the, the only thing that oh, you know more of that. The only thing that you know to start off with is they are, you know, they 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 wear what is it? They wear northern colors. I think is the yeah. only thing that you know They're about of them. Of the right north. Yet. Yeah, and that okay. and that gets interesting real quick as well. And Rawr. it was yet another one of those moments where I wondered, should I know these people? I don't know who they are, but okay. Yeah, if you if you caught the nuanced details, you you kind of have an idea of who they are, but it's not been overtly stated just yet. Yeah, got it. Okay. Well, I, I would chalk these two episodes up to me getting lost in the influx. Mm. Similar to season one, really. Well, yeah. I mean, season one was kind of like a fire hose. <laughs> and now I'm at the point where, okay, I'm, I, I have a good grasp on who the players are, who the characters are that we know now. And now there's this flood of new faces that I'm just, I'm just not getting. Mm. So I'm going to have to pay more attention to that going forward this season, particularly if there's more of it to come. It settles in. It settles in. Yeah. I really think this is the last season where there's that huge influx. Um, and it's really mo- mostly in the first part of the season because the end of the season kind of has its own, its own dealings. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So those are kind of my closing thoughts on these two episodes. Anthony, how about you? What, what would you? How would you sum these two up? Um, these two, just like the rest of this this season, it's it's a lot of necessary evils, a lot of pushing the story mm-hmm. forward and bringing people together it, it, because they need to be together for later reasons or whatever else. But there's there's several awkward transitions. I in call this it season. a chess episode. Yeah, you're moving pieces and putting them in place for for later. And yeah, a chess episode. Really a chess, chess episode. Chess episode. Because it's less like the fr- I always I always really like uh, episode one of each season of Game of Thrones. Like I thought that this one is particularly strong, mm-hmm. you know, like in terms of revealing what happened to people. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the second this 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 other episode was like there are good bright moments, but it is not an episode. It was just like chess. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Okay, all right. Well, that's. Our recount of episodes 301 and 302 for this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. Jenny, where can people find out more about what's going on in your head you these guys, days? Guys, I actually have something to say. Uh-oh. So the Ooh. last time I spoke with you on this podcast, I was working at a wonderful place called Marketplace, which is a public radio yep. program. And uh, for reasons that sort of have to do with like me needing to be on two coasts at once, east and west, uh, I don't work there anymore. So I am now what they call an independent producer. Whoop, whoop. I know. Uh, so I have a bunch of fun jobs. 
that are sort of like they allow me to, I call them jobs that fit in a backpack and they allow me to be on either coast. <laughs> and uh, if you go to infinitegain.co, so like the word infinite, like infinity, gain, like mm-hmm. audio gain, uh, dot uh-huh. co, you can see uh, my plan for my future. Might be a stupid plan, but it's a plan. Well, look at that. <laughs> well, I will say you're doing better than me because I don't have a plan yet. <laughs> I have a plan for you. I have a plan. <laughs> All right. Well, then we should talk. <laughs> Anthony, <laughs> where can people find out more about what's going on in your head and or life? Um, really the best way to find me and all the things that I do is at Ethan Kane on Twitter. Uh, you can f- find all the reasons I am chomping at the bit to retire from the air force and move on with another stage of my life that has yet to be determined. And, uh, yeah. And of course you can always find me here on this podcast. One of, one of my favorite things that I do. That is awesome. And you can find out more about what's going on in my head. Numerous perspectives from my head, all aggregated at Richard Gunther on Twitter And that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, I'm going to summarize this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones as the episode where we all come to the realization that we're all going to go through life transitions while we're recording this show. I know. That is is very interesting. I know. I (laughs) kind of like that. It feels very optimistic on on this particular Sunday. Uh, and and, Absolutely. and if people would like to tell us the life changes they're going through because of the show or just while they're listening to the podcast, they can always give us uh, some feedback at let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Rock and roll. All right. Thank you for joining us. R-A-T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-L-Y